Welcome back to another week of Instigating with Clarky and Drury, brought to you as always by our great friends at Cool Bet Canada. Look at that right there. Beautiful hat. Remember, Super Bowl coming up in two weekends. Use our friends at Cool Bet if you want to lay a little heat down on the action. Eagles, Chiefs, we'll surely chat with our friend Jake Bolin Moss sometime next week and get his thoughts on the big game. But remember to use our friends at Cool Bet Canada and my favorite tool, the Bet Builder, to lay your wagers down. We're also brought to you by our friends over at the Listle Squash Courts and, of course, our new friends and your friends. Friends, right here on 1000 Wallace Avenue in Listowel, Larry Hudson's Chevrolet Buick GMC Hudson's has it. And remember, they've got great deals going on right now on trucks. As a matter of fact, they've got a bunch of great deals happening heading into February. Remember, you can get new trucks, 2022 new truck clear out, purchase or lease a new 2022 half ton truck and receive your choice of a no charge four year GM maintenance plan or a five year 100,000 kilometer GM warranty. Remember you can purchase or lease a new 2022 Colorado or Canyon midsize truck and receive a $1,000 dealer discount alongside a new set of winter tires, and a $500 gas card. Clarky not on the show. He's usually here to let us know what's going on over at Larry Hudson's. He's still down in beautiful Punta Cana. But when he comes back, if you're looking for a new truck, a new Colorado, something like that, head in there. You can see Clarky or one of the other great reps over there at Larry Hudson's. Great show this week. We've got our friend Steve McAllister of the Parlay on to talk about a bunch of topics in sports, including the NHL ratings down in the U.S. dramatically. What are the causes? What can the NHL do to maybe fix that? We'll talk a little baseball, a little football, maybe even a little footy as well as the Parlay had great coverage of the World Cup. And of course, the transfer deadline closing in European football as well at the end of January. We have so much to chat about with our friend Steve coming up next. Welcome back to Instigating with Clarky and Drury. Ryan Drury back here flying solo this week. Well, not totally solo because we've got a great guest, our great friend from the Parlay Group. It is Mr. Steve McAllister. Steve, how are you, my friend? Long time no see. I'm great, Ryan. We're we're surviving another Bruce County winter. We're actually, we're getting off pretty easy so far, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And and you know what that means. The end of February and the middle part of March is gonna suck. It's gonna be rough going out on the roads, but you know, we're we're used to that. But I'm glad you're doing well. Things are good. What's going on? Tell us a little bit about what's up over at the parlay. You guys are always busy over there. Yeah, it's been a busy uh Probably since the last time I was on with you and Clarky, Ryan, busy. We uh, rebranded kind of our the video content portion of the parlay business to homestand sports. So um, you'll see like James Sharman, Albert Bartanian, Noor Zainab, a bunch of our people now are doing video content for for homestand. So uh, Kevin Kennedy and his group have been busy with with that. And then me with the uh, Gaming News Canada newsletter. It's, uh, it's an industry that's really... Uh, really popping right now as you know ryan and and again there's obviously been some controversy around the around the amount of sports betting advertising um uh on the various sports networks and on, on radio uh but it's uh it's an industry that uh i think has been more successful in ontario than people thought it thought it would be 
And I'm actually excited. I'm, I'm heading off to London this week, and there's a big gaming conference in England called ICE, ICE, next week. So I'm going to be over there for three days covering that conference for, for the two newsletters. So looking forward to getting back to, to Europe for the first time in probably, uh, geez, it must be close to a decade for me. Yeah, that'll be really exciting. And yeah, I mean, and we can talk a bit about that because it kind of ties into some of the stuff that we can dig into with the NHL, of course, which has plenty of of things to talk about as always. But, you know, and we've talked about this with you before. Yes, there's, there's a lot of outcry. There's going to be outcry with anything new and yes there is there a swath and and maybe an overabundance at times of of advertising for sports betting sure yeah i agree but at the same time i i think that it's one of those things where you can't really have your cake and eat it too right like people want their sports programming to be viable and to survive uh, and i i certainly am speaking as a member of the media and so are you here we want the industry to survive. And unfortunately, you know, it, that takes money. And when advertisers like betting companies are willing to step up and inject the type of cash that they are into these broadcasts, I mean, Steve, at the end of the day, I mean, it's no different than beer commercials, which have been king in Canada on hockey broadcasts for years or car commercials, wh whatever. Like an advertiser steps up and brings that kind of dough to your door no one is going to turn that away. No, it's, I mean, in, in terms of economic development, uh, Ryan, this industry has been huge for the province since it launched last April. And again, you, you and I are both people who work in, work in media, and we know the, the kind of trouble the media business is going through right now. And the sports betting, uh, the sports betting industry is throwing a lifeline to the media industry through those advertising dollars and, and marketing dollars. And then you look, iGaming Ontario released its uh, report last week for, for October to December, and uh, it's crazy numbers to the point where over the over the nine months that we've had an open market in Ontario, there's been almost $900 million in tax revenue for the province. That's that's a lot of money, obviously. And, uh, you know, you look at jobs, like, uh, you know, not too far from where you are in Waterloo, there's a startup company called Quarter Four that does spits out data using artificial intelligence for, for sports books and, and other operators in that industry that, that it's employing engineers and other, and other people. And, uh, you know, points bet Canada, they have an office in downtown Toronto with about 60 employees now. And, and, uh, so you look at the, you look at what this industry is doing when at a time when we're trying to get past the pandemic and, and trying to get through a recession, and and this industry has undoubtedly given uh, has been an economic boost for this country. You're right, and and I just I understand because it's a newer thing in terms of the. Um, amount of advertising around it, so I understand that people that aren't a fan of it, you know, are are a little put off by it. But I would argue that there are things that you, I mean, it's everything in moderation, right? You you're trusting people to be adults. It's no different than beer consumption, legalized cannabis consumption now in this country and parts of the one to the south of us. And I'd argue there's things that you can get involved in in that country to the south of us legally 
that are far more dangerous than having betting advertising as part of your sports programming, which, and Steve, we're not dumb. Sports fans aren't dumb. While some don't like it necessarily as part of the programming, people have been gambling on sports since sports started. Some guy at the first soccer pickup game in England bet a couple pence on his buddy's team winning. It's just always been a reality and legalizing it. And like you said, making it a benefit in terms of, revenue for provinces, states, territories, whatever, is more of a positive, I think, than a negative. And from the media perspective, you said it. I mean, the cuts and layoffs just continue to hammer the industry, the news industry, the sports industry. One of my favorite magazines over in England, maybe you can kick somebody while you're over there in Europe for me. Rock Sound just closed shop. I I love that magazine ever since I was a kid. It sucks. So overall, I think it's doing a lot more positive where there aren't a lot of other people. We hear all these complaints about the state of the industry Steve, no one else seems to be stepping up to help. No, and I think, you know, listen, Ryan, there's the there's it's not a perfect system right now. And we have to keep in sure. mind the regular industry. This is very, very early days. Like we're not even 12 months into uh, this new new landscape in Ontario yet. And I beat the drum on our newsletter and, and we do a LinkedIn audio show every every Thursday afternoon with uh, with Gaming News Canada. And, and you know, the deals that Connor McDavid's done with BetMGM and Austin Matthews with Bet99 and John Tavares with uh, with OLG's ProLine product, um, I've, I've been sounding the drum that there needs those athletes should be involved in a responsible gambling message. And I just think it's it's bad for their brand uh, personally. And then it's, it's also not good for the industry. But at the same time, there's a real opportunity when you have these high-profile athletes, both past and present, who can who can give that message and i think that's been a shortcoming of the industry i think the television networks have really struggled with it, the integration of betting content in, into their broadcasts i think you know there's a lot of people still don't understand what a money line is they don't know what a same game parlay is i think there has to be more education for for the networks and explaining sports betting to uh to, to sports fans or around a leafs game or, or a raptors game uh, but I would say let's let's be a little bit patient here. To, to your point, sports betting has been around forever um, in a regulated system. Now we're we're seeing tax dollars, and in our province, Ryan, we see what's going on with our healthcare system right now. We see what's going on with with our education system. Uh, you know, I would suggest a billion dollars would come in pretty handy for our, for our provincial government. Yeah, and I mean, the hope obviously would be that they spend that properly, which I mean, with governments nowadays, you never know. But this is not a political show, and we're not going to get into that. So what we should get into, though, is we'll talk a little bit. And I want to also, you know, mention, you know, you mentioned a couple of the people involved with, you know, the parlay on the video side of things. Albert, uh, I I doubt he remembers me, but I actually worked very briefly with him way back at the Fight Network, way, way back in the day. So say hi to Albert for me. I mean, James Sharman getting involved with room 442. All the World Cup coverage was fantastic. You're going to have to do me a solid and get Sharman on this show because that dude is one of the three people responsible for me even becoming a soccer fan. But you guys are cranking out great content over there. The newsletter's fantastic as well. So keep that up. Um, Obviously, the NHL talking point we're heading into all-star weekend and let's maybe start there because there's so many things to touch on with the nhl right now and it's the league we all love to complain about and 
I just wonder your thoughts on this because this this stat has caused a lot of stir in the recent 24, 48 hours before we recorded this show. NHL US TV national viewership is down 22% this season per the findings from Austin Carp. NHL regular games to date have averaged 373,000 viewers on ESPN TNT, second season of the league's seven-year deal with Disney and Turner Group. The NHL averaged 478,000 fans last year. That's a pretty precipitous drop. There's a lot of different factors at play here, but in your mind, Steve, what are some of the big ones? Why is why is there a 20 plus percent decline in viewership? Yeah, it's funny, uh, Ryan. I did I did read one report yesterday, and if, if you take it at face value, they mentioned that there's a, there are a lot more games on in the states right now, so that's had that's affected that average. And that, that is a, a big reason why the average has dropped because there's simply more games that are being televised by, by those networks. Um, you know, I, you'd have to believe that, that, that the NHL has been affected in some part by having a world cup tournament in, uh, in November and December. And again, even though those games were being played during the day, there's only so many hours of, of sports coverage that, that all of us can and can watch. So I think that's had that's had an impact as well. Um, and again, it's funny. Like Car- I, was, I saw a tweet from Carlo Coliacomo today about the uh, about the ratings in the U.S. And Carlo was pointing to a bunch of factors that the NHL still doesn't do a very good job marketing its its stars. And and uh, you know, it, it's a I think the the playoff format isn't isn't real user friendly. Again, you look at the Eastern Conference right now and. Uh, you know, as much as people love, like the hate the Leafs, other than than Clarky, um, you know, there's a team that's 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 a it's a really good hockey team, and there's a very good chance they're not going to win a playoff round again this year because they're probably going to run into to Boston or Tampa again, and uh, that's you know that's that's a tough pill to swallow, and I I think I think it is important for the NHL to have the Leafs win a playoff round. I think it's good for the business of the National Hockey League for the Leafs to, to play more than one round in the in the playoffs. Um, but on the flip side, like I watch a lot of hockey, Ryan, and I, I the caliber of play has never been never been better. And there are a lot of stars in the game right now, and, and I do agree with Carlo. I think the NHL and the NHLPA haven't done nearly a good enough job promoting promoting the stars. But as we both know, there's the culture of hockey is one where it's all about team, the team and not about me. And I think it's really hard to, to break down that silo. I agree. And I I saw, like many did, Carlo's tweet, of course, Carlo on first up on TSN 1050, friend of the show. He tweeted, quote, I hope this is a wake-up call for change in the NHL. Fans are losing interest. There's no rivalries. It's lacking storylines. There's more buzz around talk of trades than actual trades. Poor marketing of stars, which you just touched on, Steve. Too many math equations. A horrible playoff format just to name a few. I agree the the playoff format needs to go back to 1 through 8. It was all it was the best ever when it was 1 through 8. You never knew who you were going to play. Sometimes it, it came down to the last game of the season. I remember a few years back there was a game the final regular season game of the season and the Flyers and Rangers were playing a win to get in and the team in first place had no idea who they were playing that year until 
literally it went to a shootout as well. And if I remember correctly, Ole Jokinen scored the winner for the Rangers, I think. But either way, I agree. The playoff format needs to change. But Carlo highlighted something in there too. And and we'll talk about marketing of stars as well. But he highlighted something in there too. And they've been talking about this a lot on Overdrive and all the other big sports programs up here. The lack of trade movement. Now, we just saw Bo Horvat get moved in a pretty major trade, which I, I, you know, just commenting on the trade myself, I thought that Vancouver got ripped off personally. But that's neither here nor there. That's the first big chip we've seen. What is your opinion of, of the trade landscape? And would you prefer the NHL institute some sort of luxury tax system where you could go over the cap, pay more into revenue sharing, potentially whatever system you want to come up with to facilitate more player movement? Because man, the, the NBA, even the NFL has way more movement you know, it's not even a comparison when you look at soccer in, in Europe, way, way more player movement. Like there's always a possibility your team could go out and really, really improve. Same with baseball. What are your thoughts on this? Like, can they fix this somehow? Not on the not under the uh, current CBA, uh, Ryan. I just think the the cap world that, that Gary Batman wanted, it's really uh strangled teams' abilities to move to move players and uh, to Carlo's tweet today, I think there's way too much talk about the salary cap. No, nobody wants to talk about the salary cap. I mean, I, geez, I remember my days as a baseball writer, and I hated as a baseball writer, journalists writing about salary arbitration and, and franchise values. And I think we all understand that those are part and parcel of covering the world of professional sports today. But when you're spending more time talking about a team not being able to move somebody because of salary cap implications instead of talking about someone who's maybe chasing a 100-point season or a goalie who's chasing some kind of a consecutive wins record, uh, that's a problem for your sport. People we, people don't want – sports fans don't want to talk about salary caps. They want to talk about goals and assists and great plays and fights and saves and uh, shootouts. And uh, the, the cap system – to be honest, Ryan, it's got to the point where you, you really have to question why the likes of TSN and Sportsnet would do trade deadline shows now where there's there, there's such minimal movement because of the salary cap. Yeah, I mean, those shows have turned into, you know, and like they do the best they can. And, and you know, there are a lot of good broadcasters on those programs, thank God, to listen to. But I feel for them, you know, and. O-Dog's one of the guys that kind of, you know, uh, I don't know that whines is the white, right word, but, you know, he he's just like, I don't even know why we're doing this anymore, kind of half-jokingly, because, you know, it's, it's not the blockbuster event that it used to be, and it's because of this hard cap. Like, I remember in high school, my friends and I would skip school. We would skip school and, like, all hang out at my place and order pizzas, and we'd watch trade deadline because You just couldn't wait to see what was going to happen. You know, your your team was on a run. Somebody was going to get moved and acquired. And it was such an exciting day. And now it's really stifled. And I just think this hard cap system, you know, I, I know that Gary wants to work for the owners and, and, and the line that they always kind of use as well, you know, we're protecting the owners and GMs from themselves. As sports fans, you know, what do we care if a millionaire makes a big payout contract and it doesn't work out? We don't care uh, that a multi-billionaire paid a guy on a nine-year deal and he only played four. 
That's not our problem. We just want, we're just excited about the content and the content movement wise in the NHL is very lacking. Yep. And you referenced uh, the Bro Horvat trade earlier, Ryan. And, and again, part and parcel of why the Islanders didn't get the return that you thought they might have for Horvat is because of the salary cap implications and not knowing if, if the Islanders are going to be able to sign Horvat to a long term contract uh, next summer or whenever that may happen or how a Horvat contract would affect the rest of the roster. So it's really, it's really tied the GM's hands in terms of making really good hockey trades too, Ryan, I think like, again, you look at a guy like Horvat, I, I agree with you. You, you would think the, the Canucks could have got a lot more than what they got, but I think given the circumstances, getting Beauvillier or Ratchet, and I think they got a draft pick as well. Isn't probably that bad, that bad a haul. Like I said, considering how Lamorello's hands were tied. You're right. I, I guess like I just sit there and look at the value of a guy like Horvat, and I I still have too much of an old school way of thinking, I guess, because I look at it and go, I would have wanted way more. But you're right. It's so difficult in this system to get anybody because it has to be money in, money out, you know. Clarky's Leafs, there's lots of rumors. What are they going to do? Should they bolster their forward group? Should they get another defenseman? Well, you know, there's all this talk and rumors swirling around a guy in San Jose like Timo Meyer. Well, if the Leafs want to go get Timo Meyer, how the hell are they going to be able to pull something like that off? This guy makes almost $7 million. You'd be asking San Jose to retain, and then you got to move out three or four million to make him come in. Who who can the Leafs move? Kerfoot. I guess. I mean, it's just so difficult. And I'm just, I'll always be a hockey fan. And of course you will too, Steve, but I get for new fans that maybe are more used to the baseball system or the ability of movement for different reasons in a sport like football or basketball, looking at this and going, this is kind of boring. And it is. Yeah. And uh, going back to what you said earlier too, Ryan, I mean, I think if you had a luxury tax in place, and again, if you were, I, I understand that why Gary Benton won the salary cap system. The, the cap system has driven up franchise values for NHL owners because there's a cap on salaries. I mean, that's, that's always, that was always Gary's motivation for getting the cap. And like, I go back to 1994 when I joined the NHLPA right, right at the start of a, an owner's lockout. And that's that's what it was about back then. Gary wanted a salary cap to to you know to drive up franchise values by putting a cap on salary. And to your point, at least you had a luxury tax. Then teams like the Maple Leafs could spend a bit more money. And I think if you're a sports fan and you're if you're a Maple Leafs fan or a Detroit Red Wings fan, or if you're if you're a fan of a franchise where they run a good business and they're making money. You want your team to have the ability to spend that money on players, and a luxury tax would would help uh, would help solve that problem. But I think that's going to be a tough nut to crack as long as Gary Bettman's commissioner. And every indication is that Gary's not leaving anytime soon. Yeah, it seems that way. It's thirty years now that he's been in charge, and you know, obviously, things like the Arizona situation don't help because you have to prop up more teams that just aren't making money. And I get it. They want to stay there. It's the fourth largest TV market in America, even though no one's watching. Um, and yeah, it's frustrating because then teams, if if they were in a situation uh, as an example, and they were somewhere that was making more money and driving consistent revenue, 
teams that were spending into the luxury tax wouldn't need to allocate as many of those dollars toward propping up those franchises. They could allocate them somewhere else or in the very least, maybe even offset the escrow that all the players hate. It It's a complicated system for sure. Let's move on to another one. Let's talk about the All-Star game because that's the marquee event if you even want to call it that anymore this weekend and you see the goofiness here of the setup like Horvat is still going to play for the Pacific Division as a member of the Islanders and then Matty Beneers isn't going to go anymore for Seattle and so they've replaced him with somebody else on a team that shouldn't maybe really have all-stars and I brought up Arizona. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. They got good players. They shouldn't have anybody in the all-star game, this all-star system. And this feeds into what we could talk about, about marketing the game. The all-star game should be for all-stars. If one team has six guys that should be there, they should have six guys there. Boston should probably have six guys there. The Leafs should have four or five. Like, I think it's so reductive to have to force it's only in one city if the host city you know doesn't have somebody on the radar in a year sure they should have somebody in there but Arizona and Columbus and they shouldn't have anybody all-star game this is so goofy and it's a bad way to market the game because the best players aren't necessarily all there Steve yeah listen Brian is it someone in their 60s who's been watching professional sports for for a long time you know going back to the the 1960s it's it's sad to see how all-star games have evolved not not only in hockey but in all sports major league baseball the nba nba not so much because it feels to me that the nba you still get most of your star players but it's become an obligation for players to go to an all-star weekend and that wasn't the case in the 60s 70s and 80s it was an honor and a privilege to go to the All Star Game, and, and all the stars, all the stars were there. And again, it may seem simple to your listeners, but I used to get the the highlight of the Major League Baseball All Star Game for me was watching the players go on the field and get greeted. And I was in Montreal in 1982, I think, for the All Star Game when the Expos had five guys in the starting lineup: uh, Gary Carter, Al Oliver, um, uh, Warren, um, Tim Raines, Andre Dawson. And I think Steve Rogers was a starting pitcher. And, you know, sitting at the Big O with 50,000 people, having those guys introduce and, and just lifting the roof off, off the stadium. And I, I think, you know, it's, 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 if you're a sports fan, it's hard not to have a sour taste in your mouth when you see star players today looking for excuses not to go the All-Star Weekend. And I'm also I'm somewhat sympathetic to that. I think the, in hockey in particular, and the 82-game schedule is a real grind now. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I've been saying for a while now, I really wish the league would go back to a 74 or 72-game schedule. That, that's never going to happen. That's that's a pipe dream. That's, that's just a loss of too much revenue for the, the owners and the players would have to take a hit as well. But to me, the, those all-star games, regardless of the format or whatever you try to do, it's loss is luster because the best players in the world aren't, aren't participating in those weekends. I agree. I, I just think it's a goofy system. Like this is competitive sports and I don't know why we have to have a kumbaya session where every team has to have a representative. Guess what? In every league, there's bad teams and they probably should have players at your marquee all-star event. Like I, I'm sorry, just there are guys that are there 
over the last number of years that just shouldn't be. And, you know, back in the eighties, the Oilers would usually always send five or six guys because they had five or six guys that should have been there. And I would, I would prefer that they just go back and, and market it properly. I wonder your opinion on this, Steve, you know, I, I back when you're talking about, you know, watching when all-star games were a really great thing and just tapping back on the marketability issues that the NHL seems to have. And let's be honest here. Like baseball's not far behind. Like baseball has baseball's I would even say light years still ahead of the NHL, but they're still a little bit more reserved, but they do have guys, the Sotos of the world, Acuna, Vlad, guys like that, that are jazz Chisholm jr. Who's on the cover of the, the video game this year. They got some guys that are starting to bring a little bit of flavor to it where the NHL is, is lacking a little bit there. Do you think that, social media has played a big part in that. Like, do you think that it's a situation where guys now are a little too, you know, afraid of exposing too much of themselves, their personal lives, whatever, making a mistake, that sort of thing. Because you listen to stories of guys talking about, you know, the eighties and nineties, the wild parties that would go on stuff like that. As an example, well, now everyone's got a camera on their phone. Just how much do you think that that plays into the mentality of maybe guys being a little more wooden in front of the camera, if you will? Yeah, I, I, I still believe, Ryan, a lot of it is that culture with hockey where you're, you know, you're, the, the player's not, you're not supposed to be bigger than the team. And so for that reason, you know, we haven't seen over 50, 50 years where a lot of NHL players have had endorsement deals. Like Wayne Gretzky kind of broke the mold. And Gretzky followed guys like Gordie Howe and Bobby Hall. Like there were some big names playing in the NHL before Wayne Gretzky came along, but you never saw them pitching pitching cars or, or banks in the U.S. Uh, you know, compared with the base with baseball players, whether that would be you know a, a Hank Aaron or or a Nolan Ryan or or the basketball stars of the day like Bird and Johnson and Thomas and and those guys. Um, so I think that hockey hasn't helped them help themselves. And I would suggest it's one something that came to mind with me a lot when I worked at the NHLPA, Ryan, is I it didn't seem to me that the agents did a lot of work on behalf of the players in terms of getting endorsement deals. And I think Donnie Meehan Newport Group was one of the first companies where they actually hired someone to, to do some marketing on behalf of the players. Um, you saw uh, JP Barry and Pat Brisson when they when they joined the CAA group that they're you know they've certainly and now now with Wasserman and, J- and Jeff Jackson. You see a lot more being done for for guys like Matthews and McDavid, but I think it's that mentality where you look at basketball and and basketball players they're they're encouraged to be themselves. You know, like you see LeBron Johnson wearing a suit jacket and shorts to a to a game, and and uh, you know in the newsletter this week we have a um, Nike's just collaborated with a, an esports company out in California to launch a new LeBron James shoe, and and. Uh, the, the NBA really encourages that personality to come out and, and to, to be shown. And I still don't think that's the case in hockey. And, and as much as, you know, people will talk about Austin Matthews and being, you know, wearing funky clothes and, and guys walking in the rink with their suits on or whatever, um, that's not translating into marketing dollars for the most part. 
No, it really isn't. And I, yeah, I, I agree as well. I just wondered, you know, cause I've heard people point that out all, oh, well, you know, the social media and everybody's got a camera. Well, they do on the basketball players and the football players and a lot of those baseball players too. And I, I just think that, yeah, hockey seems to have, you know, for some parts better and for some parts worse. I, I, I appreciate the, candor if you will i guess in some respects of the culture of the you know we not me i you know i i get it there's there is something endearing about that but you know if you want to catch up in this new social media world and get more people hooked you need people with a bit of electricity to them that are going to lure them in. Right. And it's hard. And Hey, baseball, baseball is an example. You know, I, I still think most people would say I, I would that Mike Trout's the best player still playing baseball. You know, there are guys that are catching him a little bit. Sure. But he's not a very electric personality. He's just a really damn good ball player, but there are guys around him in the league that are starting to really pick that up and the new age, the bat flips. And like, I I love that stuff. I think it's great for the sport and they have their challenges too. But yeah, overall, I think that the NHL, I don't know that a problem's necessarily, you know, worth using as a word here, but it's a challenge for them. And I wonder, I wonder what they could do. And I wonder this quickly too, before we take a break, just in terms of marketability. And maybe this also factors into the television numbers too. There's just too many streaming services. They've they've divvied up the pie. And now, like in the States, if you want to be able to watch literally every game, you got to subscribe to like three or four different places. And it's not much better in Canada and blackouts blackouts have got to stop across all sports. Let us watch the product how we want it. And I wonder what you think about that. Cause I blackouts drive me insane. I think they yeah. suck. No, it's, it's crazy, right? Like I'm sitting at home last night with my wife watching There's nothing on television and Montreal and Ottawa are playing on TV and I can't watch the game because it's blacked out. I mean, that's, on a night when the Leafs aren't playing and you and I are sitting in Bruce and here in County, that, that makes no sense at all. I, I will say in terms of the, you know, all the various distribution platforms now that that's not going to change because money talks. And no, no. If you can, you know, look at the NFL, if you can get Amazon and Apple and, and Fox and NBC and CBS and ESPN already, you checks, they're going to, they're going to take the money and run. I just want to go back quickly to the marketability. You know, one thing about the NHL and like no no disrespect at all to Paul Biznet because Biz has done an incredible job marketing his brand. You know, Spin Chicklets is a highly successful uh, podcast. Uh, you know, he's got the TNT deal. He's done done such a great job of marketing himself and, and giving himself a lucrative career after his playing career. But it's to me, it's a bit of it's it's bit of indictment on the NHL of Paul Business, one of your poster boys. Um, you know, where if you watch, if you turn on an NFL show on a Sunday morning and you watch a pregame show or a studio show, you know, you're seeing Terry Bradshaw, Phil Sims, Boomer Esiason, uh, uh, Keyshawn Johnson, Randy, Randy Moss. Moss. You're, I mean, you're seeing the stars. You watch, you turn on. You know, the best studio show in pro sports in North America, hands down, is uh, the NBA on TNT. Oh, Shaquille, by a landslide. Shaquille O'Neal, Charles Barkley. 
Um, so again, I don't want like I God love like Paul Biznet. Good for him for doing for everything he gets. Every penny that Paul Biznet earns, he you know he deserves. But again, if if, uh, if Paul Biznet's one of the guys who if he's one of your faces in the NHL, that that's me. That's a problem. Yeah, I agree. It, it would be better if there were some stars in there from glory days past that could offer a little more. You know, I I don't know down in the U.S. You know, what's Brian Leach up to? What you know, what's a guy like that up to? I you know, just somebody that could really what's Scott Niedermeyer doing? Somebody like that that just was a, a big name that could bring a little more clout, if you will. I, I'd say, you know, if he wasn't a very successful general manager, you know, a guy like Joe Sackick. I actually said years ago that I think that and it could still happen whenever Gary does move aside. I think Joe Sackick would be an unbelievable commissioner. I really do. I think he'd be a great commissioner, but yeah, you're right. The NHL, even in terms of their broadcasting product, isn't bringing the same kind of star level and glitz and glamour, certainly as, as TNT or even something like football with the Manning cast. Like it's, it, that's Peyton Manning, man. And, and his brother is pretty good player too. Yeah. It's uh, it's different. So, all right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, lots to still talk about, including some baseball news. Of course, Jays pitchers and catchers are reporting this month. Everybody's excited about the upcoming Jays season. What's going to happen with the Tampa Bay Rays? Some, Confusion, I guess, is the right word around their future in the Tampa Bay market. Could Steve McAllister's Montreal Expos come back someday? And, of course, we'll chat a bit of soccer, too, because there's been some crazy stuff going on in the soccer world. We'll talk about that next here on Instigating. Welcome back. Wrapping things up this week on Instigating with Clarkie and Drury. Ryan Drury back here. Clarkie, of course, still on vacation, and we're very pleased uh, that we're still joined by our great friend from the parlay, Steve McAllister. Thanks for riding shotgun through the whole show, my friend. That was my uh, my pleasure, Ryan. I've, I've got a feeling this might be the best show that you've done. You've done that having Clarkie here and gum up the works. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. You you think I fly a little higher as a solo eagle, maybe? I hey, there's no doubt about it. No doubt about it, Ryan. And I'm I'm dragging you down here too, not just Clarky. Oh God. no, you're selling yourself short, man. We always love your thoughts on a variety of sports. We talked a lot of hockey in the last segment, as we should. All-star game coming up this weekend. Um, obviously, some baseball news too. Now we'll we'll talk a bit about the Jays and your thoughts on their offseason. I think it's been pretty good and really improved the other day getting Chad Green on a bit of a sweetheart deal. If he can stay healthy, mind you, but man, that guy's career numbers. Whew, that's an arm to put in your bullpen if he's healthy. But really quick, you know, we were alluding to it kind of jokingly at the end of the last segment. Tampa Bay, I mean, there's been a lot of rumors about movement of teams. Nashville, of course, is is going to be getting, or it seems to be gearing up toward getting an expansion franchise. Talk about that in Portland, maybe as well. We all know what's going on with there's always rumors about my Oakland A's moving, and they won't be my A's anymore if they do. Uh, but the Rays as well. I mean, we all know what's going on with the trop. Everyone hates the trop. The old, their own players hate the trop. And there's rumors swirling that they could potentially get a new stadium more toward downtown in St. Pete, 
But there's also some rumors swirling where their team president, Mr. Ald down there, was very non-committal about the team's future in Tampa, which of course got speculation running again that maybe the Expos could sneak back in there. Who knows? What are your thoughts on this? Would it be in Major League Baseball's best interest to relocate back to Montreal, which of course would need a stadium and a lot of funding and some big money behind it. Or would they be better off trying to stay in Tampa or move somewhere else in the U S yeah, staying in Tampa seems to be a real tough road to hoe, Ryan. And, and again, that's been the case for a long time. And it kind of feels like, you know, Rob Manfred is, is Tampa Bay is his child, kind of like Arizona is Gary Batman's child with the NHL. And, you know, how long are you willing to hang in? And listen, this, this uh, Rays organization, they're, they're one of the best organizations in Major League Baseball in the way they develop players and have been competitive for a long time now. And it's got to be disheartening to be a member of that organization and be in a pennant race in August and see 5,000 people sitting in a stadium and how much longer can you can you do that, um, especially when you have other options? I mean, you mentioned Nashville. You mentioned Portland. I think both of those cities would be great Major League Baseball markets. Um, Montreal, it's, uh, there's a lot of question marks. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that there's there's a very passionate fan base that would support that team, just like they supported the Expos back in the, uh, back in the 70s, 80s, and early uh, 90s, or most of the 90s. Um, but... You know, is there enough corporate support in Montreal? Yeah, absolutely. I think have to have local ownership in Montreal to make make a major league baseball team work their work. As you mentioned, you need to have a downtown downtown stadium if it's going to work properly. So I I still think Montreal's a long shot. In the same way that, and I know this, uh, it pains me to say this. In the same way, I I see Quebec City as a long shot to get an NHL franchise back there, Ryan. Yeah, I agree. There there would be a lot more hurdles in both of those situations you just referenced for Montreal and Quebec City by extension in NHL terms than U.S. markets. And I believe Robbie Manfred would love to keep them in Tampa somehow because the Southern Florida TV market is is valuable. No, it's not New York or California or or even Arizona as an example. I mean, though the support of the Diamondbacks, it's really more of a football and college basketball town uh, or state. But yeah, I, I think that his gear is more bent toward trying to keep them there. But it is interesting, you're right, because they are a really well-run franchise from a front office perspective. Whether you want to talk about, much like my Oakland A's, the ownership commitment, which is lacking at best. Man, they they crank out some really great players. And my God, like I, I don't know how teams in Major League Baseball don't have the memo yet. Do not do trades with the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> They're thieves. Every time they make a trade with somebody, they get like three guys out of the deal that turn into superstars. Ask Pittsburgh how they feel about Tyler Glass now, who is my favorite pitcher in Major League Baseball, by the way, in case you were wondering. Um, yeah, it's it's just unbelievable. Let's shift our focus, though, more toward the Jays here before we get uh, some chat in about Clarkie's favorite sport, soccer. Uh, 
what do you think of their offseason? I mean, it's been pretty exciting. They brought in some really quality veteran pieces. I just mentioned recently they had Chad Green, who has had some health scares, yes, but when he's healthy, my God, his numbers are gross. And I, I'm sure Yankees fans, well, I know Yankees fans on Twitter, they're just throwing up that the Jays have this guy now. It's going to be awesome to watch the AL East this year. I actually, I might venture to say, Steve, this might be the best year to watch the AL East in 20 years. What do you think? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you, Ryan. I, I like what the Jays have done as well. And, you know, they absolutely needed some bullpen help. That's the one thing that blew me away. And I didn't watch a lot of Major League Baseball during the regular season last year, but I, I watched a lot of the playoffs in the entire World Series. And it's just obvious now, just having those high-powered arms in the bullpen. And it just the way the game's played now, it's just not good enough to have someone who throws in the high 80s coming in in the seventh or eighth inning. Like you, you see, like the Phillies and these teams in the in the playoffs, they've got guys coming in, in the seventh inning who are throwing in the mid to high 90s, and that's that's what the game's about now. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that Jays have enough offense to to you know go on a long run in the AL East and get to the playoffs and maybe do some damage. The only thing that I I question about that ball team, Ryan, is their their ability to play sound fundamental baseball, and and it's a team that doesn't help their pitching out a whole lot because they they don't play as well defensively as I I think they should. Um, I'm still a bit of I I think that successful teams need to play a little bit of small ball once in a while. You know, you are going to have dry spells through a 162 game season, so you need to manufacture manufacture runs. I don't know if this team can do that. But I absolutely agree. I think the AL East is going to be an absolute blast to watch if you're a baseball fan. Yeah, it's going to be an electric factory. And and I think that the moves that they made do kind of reflect exactly the criticism that you just levied. You know, they moved Teoscar Hernandez, who is a big power guy. Awful strikeout numbers, though. Really bad strikeout numbers. And they, they end up going and they get Dalton Varsho. They pay a premium to get him, of course, in, yeah. in prospect capital. Yes, they did. But they bring in Varsho, who's unreal on the base paths. He's in the 92nd percentile in base running speed. He's great at stealing. And we know that, you know, if his health holds up, Kevin Kiermeyer likes to steal a base. One of the best defensive center fielders out there. You can shift George over to right. Varsho play left. You've already got my guy. And I, I'm still infuriated that Matt Chapman was not a gold glove winner this year. That is embarrassing. He is the best defensive third baseman in baseball. Nolan Arenado's right there with him, but that still made me mad. And yeah, there's still some question marks that, you know, second and short is Bo a legit shortstop. I think this year is probably the last year with his ARB case coming up. I'll be interested to see what he gets in ARB um, to find out. He's He's got to really knuckle down defensively. But they did address some of those issues, I think, with the guys they brought in. And I really love getting Chris Bassett. My guy, the Bassett Hound from Oakland, of course, played in New York last year. I, I love that. I think that they have some great pitching depth to kind of take a bit of pressure, Steve, off of a recovering Jose Barrios who needs to build his psyche back up. Yeah, and just, uh, again, you're 
the way the game's played now, too, Ryan, you're going to need probably you're probably going to run through as many as ten starting pitchers during the season with with injuries and that. So I like I do like the Jays' depth as, at the starting position, and and yeah, I think uh, a comeback season by Barrios is, is an absolute must if this if this team is going to uh, get to the playoffs and then and then do some damage. Uh, but I, I don't see starting pitching as a problem with this team at all. I don't either. All right, let's talk a little bit about Clarkie's favorite sport, soccer. Transfer deadline day is over. We're actually recording this the day after the deadline's all closed over in Europe. Big money getting splashed around, and I know your guy, James Sharman, and the people over at Room 442 are going to be chatting a lot about it. I mean, it's the talk of the soccer world. Just some massive money getting thrown around. A record for January transfer windows over in England. $815 million pounds spent uh you know javier tabas who is the commissioner essentially of la liga spain's main league he came out and had some blistering comments about the year the uh, english market being doped up and and thieving talent and how it's not fair and it's bad for football what are your thoughts on that? Like my my favorite team, Chelsea, boy, did they ever splash the cash. Todd Bailey walking in there and just throwing money around like it doesn't exist. I have mixed feelings, obviously. As a Chelsea fan, I'm happy that they're spending money and stuff. But what's your opinion? Like, is it ruining the game a little bit to have this much financial clout seemingly focused on one country? And do you think that, whether it be UEFA or FIFA need to come in and have harder, almost salary cap-esque rules, Steve. Yeah, I, I think you want, uh, you know, if you're if you're a soccer fan, Brian, I think you want to have a strong Bundesliga and you want to have a strong La Liga and you want to have a strong Serie A. And I think if all the best players in the world are gathering in the UK, I don't think that's good good for the sport. Uh, you know, it's funny when you mentioned James Sharman, uh, we had Sharman on our LinkedIn audio show uh, during the World Cup tournament. And the one one uh, word of caution he gave was he said that teams teams often uh, in the transfer period, they look at players who had good, great World Cup tournaments and throw a boatload of money at those players. And then when, then when they join those clubs, they don't they don't play nearly as well as they did during the World Cup. And you wonder how much of that silly money happened for that reason, especially with the World Cup being played so close to the transfer window this year, when, as we both know, normally World Cup is played during the summertime. So it's interesting to watch. But I think you, you make a valid point. And, and I I don't think it's good. Uh, as you said, it, it may be good for a Chelsea fan when you see a team picking up lots of players or picking up the best player in a transfer window period. I don't think it's good for the league if you have three or four teams that are always getting the big players and, and you know, the other teams in the league are, are just struggling to keep their existing roster afloat. Yeah, you, you can't really compete anymore, it seems, unless you have some Saudi prince or oil baron by your team. I mean, like, that's just the way it is. And I agree, like, Yes, I, I'm a Chelsea fan, and you mentioned the World Cup hype and maybe overspending on players. I mean, that I'm thrilled they bought Enzo Fernandez at the last minute, but that's a lot of money breaking a British transfer fee for a kid that before the World Cup, I'd never even heard of him, Steve. So I, I hope that that's 120 million pounds well spent, but my goodness, like it, it I, I do feel, and you mentioned the Bundesliga. I really feel like the rules they have there should be instituted everywhere where 
51, it's a law there in German football. 51% of every club has to be owned by fans. If yeah, you're a majority I'm on, I'm on. owner, you can only own up to 49%. And I actually think there might be a rule where if you're one of the owners of that 49%, you can only solely own up to 30 of it. You have to have other partners involved. You can't just own the other 49% one conglomerate or company, if you will. I've always really liked that structure, and I feel like that should be instituted everywhere, Steve. Yeah, no, it's a great idea. And I think anytime you can have fans involved as essentially investors, uh, that's a good thing because you have people who are closely tied to the club and, and the decisions that they make are going to be done, uh, I would suggest, in most cases, for the for the betterment of the club. But also there's a, a respect there for history and that. And I remember, uh, you know, Ryan, when, when George Gillette bought and Tom Hicks bought uh, Liverpool, there was a lot of criticism I think they were one of the first owners to kind of come out, you know, to kind of come from outside the club and, and buy a Premier League club. And those guys took a lot of flack because they're seen as outsiders who had no appreciation or connection to the to the history of, of that uh, of that franchise. And the one thing I would say in defense of George Gillette, because I, I got to see George a little bit up close during his time as the owner of the Montreal Canadiens, I, I do think George. I certainly with the Canadians appreciated the history of that franchise and the culture and, and uh, actually was a good owner for that team. And I, and I find, you know, I have to believe that George had the same foresight and insight as it related to his ownership of the Liverpool franchise. Well, Charms would be the right guy to ask about that. He's a big fan of the Reds, of course. Yeah, yeah it's it, it's interesting, and it's a it, it's a tough challenge because yes, of course, it's good to have money and it's good to have investment, but there is a real tribalism with with soccer, football, uh, more than any other sport, really. And I do feel like a lot of power has been taken away from the fans. And one last thing I'd like to ask you about just on a broad scale. And we've talked about this with you before. And I remember you mentioning a conversation you had at a conference with Brian Burke about this, and that's ticket prices and just the affordability of being a sports fan in these modern times. And it's impossible. It's impossible to afford to be a fan at that really dedicated almost familial level where your parents went and your grandparents had seats and what like that type of stuff is just not happening now because it's just far too expensive and i remember you telling clarky and i about that conversation you had with brian burke and he kind of disagreed with you on the zenith of ticket prices and maybe we're reaching a, a a peak where it's just not sustainable anymore. Where do you sit with that now? Because I mean, the ticketing industry in general, I could go on an hour long rant about Ticketmaster and live nation and what they've done to the music business. It's sickening. It's gross what they're doing. They have their money and their hands in the sports business too. Is that going to continue to drive interest down in maybe a league like the NHL where it's just getting so expensive to attend one event, Steve. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm on two minds on this one, Ryan. I, again, and it's funny when I was when I worked for the Players Association. You know, no, it's in 1994. It was funny, like Gary Bettman. One of his one of his uh, lines to the media was that ticket. Uh, if, if salaries went down, ticket prices would go down, which 
you know, we sh- everybody should have known was a crock of crap. And I would go home to uh, Prescott, my, my hometown, Eastern Ontario, and I would play shinny with the guys on the Sunday morning, and they would be grousing me about ticket prices and blaming it on player salaries. And I would have to politely explain to my high school buddies that, no, that's not the way it works. If, if Eric Lindros makes less money and people want to go see Eric Lindros play, they're going to pay more money to watch Eric Lindros play. It doesn't matter what he makes. And I mentioned that because I was having a conversation. I have three children. I was having a conversation with my uh, with my youngest daughter a couple of weeks ago. She'd been down to see a Sabres game. And, and uh, you know, I was kind of apologizing to her that I, I we didn't get a chance as a family to go watch a lot of pro sports games when when my kids were growing up and and to be honest it was because I I couldn't afford we couldn't afford it my wife and I both had good careers and um you know people might say well you you probably spent your money on something else but I think we're we were an average Canadian family and I know I I haven't gone to one NHL game in my lifetime with my my wife and three children I've taken my daughters to leave games I've my son and I've gone to to Sabres games, relief games, and my wife and I have gone to sporting events. But as a family, we've never gone to a, to a National Hockey League hockey game. And I, I, I would suggest that's common with a, a lot of Canadian families, unfortunately. And I don't know how you change it, Ryan, because I, I every time we say that prices can't go any higher, they do. And uh, I think, you know, that's that ship has kind of sailed. Well, as Brian Johnson of ACDC once said, money talks. And uh, that just is the way it goes, my friend. Steve, I appreciate you doing this. He is Steve McAllister. You can follow him on Twitter at Stevie Mac Sports, editor-in-chief of Gaming News Canada and host of the Gaming News Canada show, also involved with the Parlay Group. You can follow them on social media at the Parlay, spelled A like Canadian, eh? That's uh, that's easy to remember. Steve, I really appreciate you doing this, my friend. It's always great having you on the show. It won't be the last time. It never will be. We always want to have you back. Thanks so much for filling in for Clarkie. You did great. Brian, it's always always a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I'll I'll, come, I'll even come back when Clarkie's Clarkie here again. I'll be happy to come and join him as well. Absolutely. Sounds good. All right. That's it for the show this week. Remember, you can watch this show Friday nights at eight, Sunday nights at nine with our friends on Whiteman TV. That's channel six for Whiteman subscribers. You can follow the show on social media at instigating pod. And remember the show debuts on our YouTube channel at nine o'clock on Friday nights for myself, Ryan Drury, all of our great sponsors, cool bet Canada, our friends over at Larry Hudson, Chevrolet Buick GMC here in Listowel, Ontario. And of course the Listowel squash courts. And for our friend, Steve McAllister, really appreciate you guys listening to and watching instigating. We'll be back next week.